I'm Veronica Belmont. And I'm John Merritt. Sword and Laser is a book club, but it's so much more. We bring you author interviews, news from the world of science fiction and fantasy, and of course, awesome discussions from fans like you. And coffee. And coffee. Much coffee. Tom, tell us about how our show is funded. Our show is entirely funded by our patrons at patreon.com slash swordandlaser. Thank you to all the folks who back our show. If you would like to support the show, head over to Patreon, Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Sword and Laser. Yay! Uh, things are going to be a little rough around here this morning on Sword and Laser. Um, as you can tell if you're watching the show live, um, it's a little bit early. Actually, nobody is watching the show live at this very moment, but that's okay. I don't think we <laughs> told okay. anyone. Well, we did We did schedule it. Tomahome is supposed to be here, or Terp Kristen, one of them. Sorry, yeah. I know I confuse the two of you all the time because your name begins with T, um, and I'm, I'm not just I'm just not that bright. Um, That's so not true. <laughs> it comes down to it, uh, yeah. So it's early. It's on Thursday. We're all out of sorts. It was the World Series last night, and of course I'm in San Francisco. I'm a Giants fan. Things got a little crazy. That's um, what I was starting to say when when I stepped on your intro earlier was that the Giants are getting to be like the Yankees. Kind of sick of seeing them in the World Series, frankly. Hey, wow! Never make that comparison again, or we're not friends anymore. So I'm just going to throw that gauntlet down. Says the former Red Sox fan. Yeah, well, I'm just saying. Actually, I met a Yankees fan last night at the airport bar. So this is a total tangent, but I was coming back from Las Vegas last night where I was hosting IBM Insight, and um, I was at the the airport bar, and there was a woman sitting next to me, and we were talking about the game. We were the only two people watching, and she's like, well, yeah, I'm I'm a Yankees fan, but for this series, I'm definitely going for the Giants. And I just sat there like, mm hmm. (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. I guess I shouldn't stab you then. Yeah, so we came together. I That's didn't tell nice. her that I was a Red Sox fan, so we very nice. we bonded over the Giants. It was very lovely. And then last night I went out for a little bit. When I got home, we went to a bar in the Mission, and the riots happened, and I got locked into the bar for my own safety. Um, you should have realized that was going to happen, right? I, yeah, I know, I know, and it was I was definitely in the thick of it. I was like mm-hmm. in the middle of the riots, and that was dumb, um, and very unsafe feeling. So I don't recommend it if you uh, if your team wins a World Series. There you go, Kansas City. See what don't you, you what's going on. Don't you feel better? <laughs> hey, uh, so what are we drinking? I'm drinking coffee, and Veronica's drinking baseball. Yeah, so, like, I don't know. Sure. You're drinking anything else? Filtered baseball. No, I'm also drinking coffee. Okay, good. I'll, I'll, I will note that appropriately in our documents. With my um, Occupy Mars mug. I have an Occupy Mars. I use mine. I have an Occupy Mars pint glass, actually. Oh, does it also change colors? No. No, no that's okay. All right, well, let's... It's black. Let's jump into the quick burns. <laughs> So uh, thank you to the folks who keep supplying us with news. I uh, I continue to add stuff to our Flipboard, but I always find that you've already added it to the Goodreads. You're you're too awesome. Uh, thank you, Sandra. For I it. forgot Flipboard existed. I have not added anything to Flipboard in like six months. I totally forgot. So hey, guess what? Tom. We have Flipboard, Veronica. You might want to check it out. <laughs> okay. Uh, or not. I mean, Sandra uh, told us about Anne Leckie's blog post uh, that ancillary justice has been optioned. Now, as we are always want to remind people, being optioned does not mean it's going to be made into a TV series, but it's certainly the first step, and Fox Television Studios has optioned ancillary justice. 
Yeah, she says, uh, Anne says on her blog, I'm also aware, of course, that bringing AJ to any sort of screen, not counting your e-reader screen, of course, would be an interestingly difficult project. I made sure to have a conversation with the folks at Fabric about my specific concerns, namely the approach to gender and the issue of whitewashing, as in I do not want to see the book whitewashed. I would like to name drop Le Guin and mention her Earthsea experience here. Thank you. Um, I was very pleased with their response, and in fact... If I have been the least bit unhappy with how that conversation came out, I would not be writing this blog post now. So it seems like she is on board. She's feeling good about the collaboration, the potential collaboration, the potential project moving forward. So, you know, things sometimes change in the midst of, of production and rewrites and, you know, TV networks and all the, all the stuff that goes on there. Trust me, I know. And so, you know... Who knows how it's going to turn out, but I, I feel very, I feel better about the whole situation knowing that Anne feels good about it. Not, not all authors always do, so that's important. Yeah, that's true. That's I, uh, I do hope that in her option contract, she made all the personal pronouns she. Oh, wait, what? I oh, what? Oh, yes, that would be funny. I get it now. Wow, my brain is working at the speed Morning. of slugs this, this morning. Outside. That's waking me up. Jeez, uh, Tamahome, not Terp Kristen, um, also sent in. <laughs> That's not Tamahome's middle name. Sorry, Tamahome. <laughs> They're going to be on the forums like Veronica, really, Veronica. after all these years. Um, uh, we've got some news from G. Willow Wilson. Um, this is over at Comics Alliance. So we don't always cover a lot of comic book news, but we've been doing more so lately, especially since we just finished reading A Lift the Unseen, uh, G. Willow Wilson's book. Uh, she's done a lot of stuff in the Marvel universe with Miss Marvel um, and with some other comics of her own in the past. But it seems as though she is taking over... X-Men? There's going to be an all-female version of the X-Men series? She's going to be the writer on that. Yeah, there seems to be, I, I guess as comic book movies have taken off, uh, they're, they're sort of pulling a lot of the culture towards them more often. So we're seeing more crossovers. For instance, like the Stephen King gunslinger novels, uh, mm -hmm. graphic novels, George R. R. Martin, uh, The Song of Ice and Fire graphic novels. Uh, so I don't know, it feels like there's just a collection uh, a collective force that's pulling things into comics. And G. Willow Wilson, of course, perfectly appropriate because we, we are reading A. Lift the Unseen, announced as the new writer of what you said, all-female X-Men series. Uh, so this is something that's really interesting that's going on is they, they've got a female Thor now, and we're going to have an all-female X-Men uh, comic. It's, it's like as the movies sort of take the traditional comic book stories over, the comic books are blazing new ground. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I like that. I like that change of perspective. I think it's it's a it's a you know, in in some ways I'm kinda like, well, it'd be kinda cool if they could just make new characters and give them their own storyline and kind of start fresh. But I also kind of like retellings. I think that's a fun way to reintroduce characters and give them, like I said, a new perspective. Um so yeah, I I would definitely check this out because I love G. Willow Wilson. I, I love the X Men, so I think this is a great it's a great combo. And what I mean what better thing to get to write than new X-Men? Like, yeah. of all the stuff, like, I mean, the closest thing would be, like, New Avengers, I guess, would be, like, an all-female New Avengers. But X-Men is pretty, I mean, it's it's up there in terms of awesome stuff you could be doing for Marvel. So that's rad. Congrats to G. Willow Wilson on that. Yeah, so the X-Men run with G. Willow writing begins with issue number 23 in January, if you want to keep an eye out for it. It's the first part of a four-part story called The Burning World, in which X-Men investigate a sinkhole that opens up in the middle of a music festival, uh, where Gambit 
was in the audience. Who knew? Each episode <laughs> of the story will be told from a different character's point of view. Uh, they haven't named an artist yet. So. Ah, okay, cool. I love Gambit. He's one of my favorites. I feel like he doesn't get enough love. Gambit was just rocking out, and all of a sudden a sinkhole opens up. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, Joe Informatico uh, pointed out that the already stellar cast of The Martian keeps getting more stellar. Chiwetel, is it Iofor? E-I-J-O-F-O-R. I should know how to pronounce his name. He was in 12 Years a Slave. Uh, he's fantastic, and he will uh, be in The Martian. Yeah, they haven't said who he's going to be yet. Um, if he's going to be one of the other crew members or if he's going to be someone working for NASA, um, we don't we don't yet know that part. Um, but it's exciting. I mean, that is, that is definitely lending some superstar power. I mean, not that Matt Damon doesn't have enough star power on his own, but, uh, you know... Filling out the Jeff cast. Daniels, with Donald Glover, uh, Jessica Chastain, Kristen. I didn't know Green. Jeff Daniels was in it. Wow. Yeah. I have not been keeping up on the casting news. Wow, that is rad. There's a lot of great people in this movie. And oh it's, set, it's set for November 2015. That's only a year away. That's so cool. That is so awesome. Well, I cannot wait to see this. I cannot wait. We should do like a sword and laser get together, like viewing party for the film. Wouldn't that be fun? Yeah, yeah. Let's try to get. Let's see if we can get Andy Weir back on the show before that. Do a little like you know movie preview and then do a, a meetup. I'd, I'd I'd fly up for that. What if he's going to be too famous for us? He probably will be. He'll be too famous. Yeah. <laughs> They Most all go on to their, to their. They all leave the sword and laser nest and go on to bigger and better things. And yeah, we did it for George R. R. Martin, for instance. Yeah, I mean, we clearly we made him. Clearly, <laughs> I will take full credit for that. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I know you will. All right, and then Nick uh, made a post about the Hemming Rite. This is funny. He says, basically, it's a keyboard with 300 PPI, 6-inch e-ink display that can be hooked up to Google Docs or Evernote via Wi-Fi, enough onboard memory to store over a million pages of text, and an estimated six-plus weeks of battery life. Seems a bit gimmicky, but I can see where writers with serious ADD, ooh, shiny issues, could find this helpful. <laughs> it basically is a typewriter. It's it's a word processor. If you ever had one of those word processors like I did in college, mm -hmm. uh, where you could see a couple of lines, this one actually has a fairly big screen. The one I had only had like two lines. This one has a nice uh, nice big screen. I can't. Is it, what did they say it was six inch? Uh, yeah. But there's no place for paper. This is not going to type anything out. It's basically taking that word processor idea and saying, oh, we don't need paper anymore because ebooks and. Yeah. I forgot that word processor was a word for the gadget, for the right, thing. Right, The word processor is being like, you know, a piece of software or whatever. But it was a physical device. We had one too. My mom used it for for uh, writing stuff for her for her business uh, back in the day. And I used to sit there and type stuff up. And, yeah, you could see like two lines of text. That was it. Um, and then it, it printed stuff out though. So this doesn't print things. No, it links it up to this Google Docs just... or Evernote. Which is makes way more sense. Yeah, <laughs> so, it does, right? <laughs> but it doesn't look very portable. This is the, you know, I mean, it's kind of big and heavy looking. Um, I haven't. I would love to get one to test. I think that would be super fun to play with. Uh, well, to do, six inch screen. The whole thing's not more than a foot wide. It, it looks kind of heavy to me, but maybe just because we're so used to iPads. Yeah, I bet it's not very heavy. I bet it's tablets. lighter than it looks. Yeah, I'm excited about it. Do you think Ernest Hemingway is like rolling, spinning 
powering whole cities in his grave right now? No, I think he'd be into it because this is, you know, this is going back to older school technology. This is like taking it away from the internet. It's letting you focus on your writing. It's, it's, you know, keeping it as a sacred thing in my mind in a way. So I think that's kind of cool. I think maybe he'd be totally down. Um, I think, you know, it's too bad it couldn't come out in time for, for a full month of NaNoWriMo. Oh, yeah. People would go nuts. If they had released it in, like, Next year's October now. or something, that would have been perfect. People well, if you want to get a look at it, um, folks in New York can go to the Engadget Expand conference November 7th. They'll be showing it off there. Oh, fantastic. Maybe if you if somebody goes, they, sh- they can write in or post it on the Goodreads. Oh, yeah. Take a little video. Show us how it works. Show yeah. us you using it. That'd be great. We would love to post that on, on the show. And if Engadget gets into trouble, tell them Veronica sent you. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. I've got, I've st- I still maybe have a little bit of, of name recognition with the Engadget team, so we'll see. <laughs> Should we jump into picks? Let's do it. Right. Uh, we're highlighting picks from our supporters still. Um, I, I think I said like for the next six weeks, but it really is like 12 weeks because we're doing it every two weeks. But anyway, um, look for the threads in our Goodreads group. Once every couple weeks, I'll post a a new one up there. We ask for you to post your thoughts and comments on the book, uh, and then we'll toss those comments around on the show. We've covered uh, until we've covered all six. So we're about halfway through. Uh, Don't forget these aren't official book club picks, but these are books people uh, on the Kickstarter you know, paid a little extra so that they could expose us to to new stuff that they like. Mm-hmm. And this week's book discussion comes from Ralph. Ralphie. The yes. Many Colored Land by Julian May. Yeah, I'm not familiar with this one. Um, he says The Many Colored Land is the first book of the saga of the Pilocene exile. I hope hope I'm saying that right. Pilocene. Uh, by American author Julian May. Um, so, yeah, a lot of people seem to have picked it up or, or seem interested in uh, reading it, or they've had it on their to-reads list. Um, so maybe it's a good... <laughs> Tassie Dave says, I have read it, but the note inside my copy shows I read it April 1984. So I may be a bit rusty on the details after 30 years. <laughs> oh, God, that is 30 years ago. He says, I know, I enjoyed it. remembers that much. Um... Uh, Lindsay said, I read these back in the 80s while I was in high school, the series, and I loved them then. I've been a little reluctant to revisit them just in case uh, the Suck Fairy had visited. I do remember really liking Intervention, which served as a bridging book between Pliocene Exile series and the Galactic Milieu trilogy. So there's a whole there's a whole world you can get into. Um, that's very cool. And and next time, we're going to be discussing The Lathe of Heaven by Ursula K. Le Guin, uh, as suggested by Carrie Smith. Um, so we have a Goodreads forum post up there already that Tom started. So if you want to hop in and start leaving your thoughts, I feel like this one is a, you know, a little more of a common read. Um, I think a lot of you out there have probably picked it up in the past or read it for school or, or, or read it just for your own interest and uh, definitely pretty popular. So I think the discussion on this one will be, will be great also. Yeah, check it out. Trike recalls thinking, uh, well, we're talking about the Pleiocene Exile still. Uh, Trike recalls thinking they would make terrific movies. They have gorgeous Michael Whalen covers. So yeah, jump in on these uh, on these discussions. There's a good long one about the Pleiocene Exile here. Uh, lots of good stuff. Uh, you guys are so well read. You guys have read everything out there. You guys have read so much more stuff than I have. It's so amazing to see like all the all the interesting thoughts you guys have on these titles that I've never. Never heard of before, so that's amazing. You guys are so smart. Are you are you reading anything not related to Sword and Laser or Vaginal Fantasy right now? Not related to Sword and Laser or Vaginal Fantasy. Um, In other words, like not the current book picks. 
I have read, well, I'm doing a separate um, alt book blog post, video blog post for Vaginal Fantasy this month on a book called Karma Girl um, about a reporter who goes around unmasking uh, superheroes and supervillains. Oh, wow. And the trouble she kind of gets into doing that and the reason why she's doing that. And um, it's it's pretty cute so far, so I'm going to be doing a video blog about that uh, in the near future, in the next couple weeks. Um, I'm still knee-deep in the Kate Daniels series by Alona Andrews. Um, I just... For for some reason, I've really clicked with the series, and I've just continued reading it. I'm on book six now, uh, so it, they're short reads, and they're so fun. I just like power through them and I'm on my lunch break and stuff like that. Um, otherwise, yeah, I'm I'm well into the November book pick for Sword and Laser, but we'll get to more of that uh, later. I have really taken to to your suggestion, Tom, um, and enjoyed it immensely so far. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of what I'm reading right now. I feel like there was something else, too. Um, yeah, but definitely keeping busy with, with Vaginal Fantasy because we've got... I have to read two books for that this month for sure, and then we've got our selections as well and other stuff going on, too. Um, so yeah, it's been fun. Oh, I should show you something. Hold on a second. Talk about, tell, tell them what well, you've I'll tell you. I'll talk about what I've been reading while you, while you go grab that. Uh, On the Steel Breeze by Alistair Reynolds. I feel bad that I'm still reading it because it makes it seem like I'm, I'm having a hard time getting through it, and that's not true. I really enjoy it. It's just that I'm reading it in print, and I find fewer opportunities to read print right now. And part of it is because I'm catching up on twin I'm not catching up I'm rewatching Twin Peaks because I'm excited about it coming back in 2016 so some of, some of my reading time has been taken up with watching time um, but I'm still really enjoying on the steel breeze but I've also been listening to the audiobook for the magician's land uh, by Lev Grossman and I have to say I just adore this series I know it was controversial when we read the first uh, in the series but man I I get Every, at least I think I get every single one of his cultural references. I love the way that he combines fantastical elements that we all grew up and loved with sort of kind of a modern day too cool for school attitude, but not making that too cool for school attitude feel like that's the way everyone should be, more of like that's a character weakness. It's just, it's, it's really fun. I'm really enjoying it. That's great. Um, I wanted to show you guys this, uh, this book that I have that I received in the mail. It's um is that backwards for you? I don't know. No, how it's this. right. It's always right for us. It's uh, Patrick Rothfuss' A Slow Regard of Silent Things, and it's actually out now. I got it before it was released, and I forgot to tell you guys that I had it. But it's the um, it's like a separate little short story about Ori. You forgot to brag that you had it early. Is what I, I forgot would. to humble brag that I had it early, that I received <laughs> it in the mail from Patrick Rothfuss personally. So there you go. There's your belated humble brag. Um, <laughs> Kyla got it. All the girls got it. Um, so we could, you know, go on social media and say how how beautiful the book is. Um, it's got illustrations. It's got uh, and Ori's one of like the coolest characters I think in the King Killer Chronicles. So it's it's uh, I'm excited to read it. I haven't haven't gotten to it yet. I pre-ordered mine ebook. So it, it arrived on my Kindle, and I'm, I'm going to dig into that soon. I feel like this is a good one for having the book of um, because it's got the great pictures. Does it, do you get the pictures in the ebook version? Uh, I haven't even looked at it yet, so I don't know. So maybe maybe they, they, they work out okay, but there's some great illustrations here. Like you can see some of the... You know the inside of the. the oh yeah, though those are those are nice. Um, is that, that's not line drawings. What is that? They're sketches. They look yeah. great. Yeah, they look like almost like charcoal sketches. Yeah. 
So it's very beautiful. Um, but anyway, yeah, that's what we're reading. So if you want to share stuff, head over to Goodreads and let us know what you are reading outside of our main and alt picks if we have an alt that month, which we don't this month because we can't keep up with all that reading. But you guys can pick alts and read and talk amongst yourselves about them. That's fine too. I'm not going to stop you from doing that. I just can't keep up with all these books right now. Find more upcoming releases at swordandlaser.com slash calendar. <laughs> All right, now it is time for Bear Your Sword, which is our feedback from the audience. Um, Tom, you were amazing this week and, and helped pick a lot of these because I was just, you know, in another world of Las Vegas, so I appreciate you uh, diving into the Goodreads forums for me. Um, but uh, Will posts about Amazon introducing the Kindle Scout program. Do you know much about this, Tom? Well, I just know what was written up about it. I haven't actually participated, but the idea is that you read excerpts from ebooks, uh, independently published ebooks, and then vote on which books you think deserve a shot at being published and sold through Amazon. You can nominate up to three books at a time to be published. Now, you may say, well, anybody can publish on Amazon. Why do I need to vote? These will be through Amazon's publisher. Amazon has a publishing arm. So they would get the extra boost of having Amazon behind them and promoting them uh, and, and such. It's kind of taken a page from Amazon's video arm, which does pilots this way. They do television pilots and allow people to watch them and then vote which ones they think should be picked up and turned into whole series. Yeah, it's kind of like a Project Greenlight or something like this. And actually our friend Walter, um, who, whose book we read in the past, uh, he has some uh, comments about this. He says, it's a bit early to make predictions, but this program could, either now or later, replace the Amazon Breakthrough Novel Competition. Uh, by utilizing crowdsourcing, Amazon can filter out a significant percentage of the quality works, which would then be forwarded to their team for consideration. IMO, this is far superior to the breakthrough competition's pitch round, since any given pitch says little or nothing about the quality of the novel the pitch itself is promoting. So this is, you know, taking making the crowdsourcing element, you know, I think gives people an opportunity to really see the potential of the book outside of just the elevator pitch. It's like the difference between getting an elevator pitch for an application or a piece of software versus actually testing out the beta and, and using it yourself and getting some hands-on time. So yeah, I think that that yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Trike started a really interesting thread. We can't really discuss it so much as point you to it and say, hey, take a look at this because it's pretty cool. Uh, it's called Counting with Covers, and Trike kicked it off by going from 1 to 16 with covers that have numbers on them. So Ready Player <laughs> 1, The Two Towers, uh, 3 by Posey, uh, 4 Ways to Forgiveness, Slaughterhouse 5, etc., 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 Got all the way up to 16, and other people picked it up. Uh, Lindsay added Babel 17. Uh, <laughs> I think they got up to uh, 20,000 leagues under the sea as 20. I'm, does that count? Yeah, I guess you could use that. It says 20. Uh, so they, they just kept going. I, how far did they get? I think it they got. It looks like um, they, they lost. A, they could not find um, 30. They got up to 30. Did they get? No, they did get a 16. They did not get. I don't see a 17 in here yet. We have an 18. Oh, did they skip 17? I feel like they skipped 17. Oh, Babel 17. Oh, you're right. By Lindsay. Okay. So, yeah, they got up to 30, it looks like, and they're still going. That's hard. That's that's pretty tough. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, Trike picked it up again and, and started adding even more, so he's, he's doing well with keeping his own game going. <laughs> I like it. That's fun. That's creative. Good job, guys. Well played. 
as they say in Hearthstone. All right, uh, Nick started an interesting discussion called What's in the Tree? And I won't read his whole post, but here's the important part. Uh, he talks about someone he calls Bob walking in the park, seeing a group of people looking at a tree, pointing at the tree. You know what happens when somebody, everybody's pointing, people stop and go, what yeah, are you looking at? Yeah, it's a social at? experiment for sure. Poor Bob keeps looking and looking, but he doesn't see anything. He asks one of the group what they're looking at, and they point in the branches, and Bob sees nothing. Nick tells this previous story as a metaphor for the times when a book is really loved and popular, and you read it and don't like it but feel something must be wrong with you because you don't get it. Everyone else can see what's in the tree. So something must be wrong with me because to me there is nothing on the branch. Now he's not talking about a particular book, although he uses some examples in his post. But he's just, he's asking like, how do people feel about that? You know, I've considered the issue of sometimes a book is better put down and picked up again later. I may not be in the right frame of mind to see what's in the tree. Right. Yeah, well, off the top, I mean, clearly not everyone is going to love every book. I don't know if there's any universally loved books. And sometimes, as a matter of fact, just the simple fact that they are universally loved make people come out and say, nah, not my thing, just, you know, just to be difficult, probably. Um, but, yeah, Kingkiller Chronicles comes up in here. Ancillary Justice comes up in here. You know, I, I mean, there's been books that I haven't liked that other people have liked that I've been like, mm, it's just not, not, not doing it for me. Uh, what do you think, Tom? Yeah, no, I think you're right. I, I think this is a great post to kind of get people thinking in a different way about the sort of assumption that we sometimes make unconsciously that things can be either good or bad, and if we don't agree, then the other person's wrong. Or, right. or as Nick's pointing out in this case, if we don't agree, there's maybe something wrong with us. And the fact is, Michelle, I love Michelle po points out, there are many trees in the forest. <laughs> and Pat says, sometimes there is nothing in the tree, and everyone's too frightened to admit it because they don't want to look foolish in front of the crowd. Uh, so there's all kinds of reasons why somebody may really love something and you don't. Because when you read a book, you're not just reading what the author wrote. You're also bringing in your own experiences, your own imagination, uh, your context. That's why reading a book at different points in your life will have different meanings. I mean, I read Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep a long time ago. Mm -hmm. I'm approaching it entirely differently now at this stage in my life. Uh, so, yeah, not every reading is going to be the same. Certainly not every reader is going to have the same opinion. Although mostly this forum post is just making me kind of angry and upset because I'm reading all the things that people don't like. And I'm like, what are you right, talking right. about? That's a good test is like, okay, that's them. They don't like the thing I like. And we always want people to like the thing we like. I'm having this struggle on Cord Killers right now. Oh, yeah? I'm a huge Twin Peaks fan. And Brian has watched the first few episodes of Twin Peaks and he hates it. <laughs> But you know what? It's just different tastes, different perspectives, different approaches. It's good. It's all good. I know. We can't. I mean, that's what makes life interesting is, like you said, different perspectives and, and enjoying separate things and trying to, you know, force our enjoyment of things onto other people and then getting upset when they don't like the things. Yeah. And then having an argument about it and then, you know, coming to terms with that fact and then moving on and trying to find another thing. If you, just, if you don't just get mad at people for not liking the thing you like, you can actually start to understand more about that person probably. I know. There was, there was I, I really, I felt the way of the thing that you just said, but I'm so tired and hungover. That, um, <laughs> being able to put that into words was difficult for me. I, that was nice of you to describe it as tired and hungover, not I'm so World Series champions. No, you know, I don't feel that way. Okay. Like I'm, we're going back to baseball again, just Sorry. for a brief moment. Like 
I feel the Royals put up a hell of a fight. It was a great series, yeah. And, you know, I knew it was going to go to Game 7 from the beginning. I knew it was going to be one of those kinds of series. And, you know, the Giants, you know, we're cockroaches. We just we just claw and grasp our way through the postseason this year. And it was, you know, if, if there wasn't another two wild card spots, you know, we wouldn't have gotten that far. Let, like, well, let, me, let me tie this back into science fiction and fantasy books for the people who are like, I don't give a... Stop talking about sports ball. Uh, is, is that... You're try like sports are for tribalism, right? Mm -hmm. And all of you out there who are just now thinking like, oh, this is so stupid. Why do you care about these overpaid people? Every time you're tribal about like what you don't like my series, you're doing the same thing. You're picking a team and you're putting the other person on the other team. It's all our our way of collecting into groups, right? It's human and, nature. Yeah. And it and so when that person doesn't like the thing you like, you start to think of them as as the other as the other team, so to speak. You know, but mad mad respect for the Royals. They 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 <laughs> earned their spot in the series, and they they were a tough team. So yeah. I was trying to bring it back to science. I know. Well, now I just want to make sure any Royals. Mad fans respect for the Royals, and by mad that respect. she means the Lannisters. Yes. <laughs> yeah. All right, and now uh, finally for our good reads uh, this week, we have a oh, post no, from. Oh, did I miss Dara? Yeah, Dara oh, recently Dara. finished reading oh. Nexus and Crux by Ramaz Nam. I loved the story, but it was really the setting that elevated the plot for me. Most of the story takes place in Southeast Asia, Bangkok, Phuket, Saigon, Shanghai, Burma. I'm looking for more books set in Asia. It doesn't have to be Southeast Asia, particularly sci-fi, but I won't say no to a good fantasy story with a similar setting. Can you guys help me out? Yeah, because Immediately, totally. Paolo Bacigalupi comes to mind. That was the first thing that popped into my head. I hadn't even clicked on the link yet, and that was the first recommendation. Yeah, Kevin put up The Wind-Up Girl by Paolo Bacigalupi, and and it is, you know, exactly what you're probably looking for, Dara. Um, so we read out. the Chronicles of Masterly and Number Ten Ox. Uh, well, we read the Bridge of Birds, as part of that series. Uh, Sun Tsai points out the Drowning City uh, by Amanda Downham was inspired in part by the author's time in Indonesia. Mm -hmm. Part of the problem is not enough um, books in translation. Uh, and we interviewed Ken Liu at the Nebula Awards, who does a lot of translations. So thankfully, Lindsay put some of his translations in there, like Xixin Liu's The Three-Body Problem, which is coming out next month. So you might look for that, as well as look for Ken Liu's own books himself. Yeah, and then Sean has a big list of, of authors who are not Americans writing about books that are set in Asia. Um, there's a great list of uh, what looks to be a lot of Japanese authors in particular. Um, so there's there's great options out there, of course. And, you know, I feel like we should jump back into that at some point. Um, it's so hard because I always say, like, oh, I want to go into this style of books or, oh, I want to read someone from this particular place in the world. But it's so hard because we only have one book a month. And so it's, you know, you have to kind of make a choice and... Uh, yeah, we'll see. There's there's so many great options out there. All right, now we can go to the to the book. Of the okay, book. David. Uh, no, we now we're missing David because I well, was going to David. David. <laughs> David. David, his favorite ebook only series. Oh my gosh. Which I was about to think, and then we forgot Dara, and then Dara, and then trouble happened. Okay, so David says. As Taylor Swift says. Book only series. I'll start. The Dragon Zine series is a pretty neat idea. Lots of different author styles and ideas all set in the same universe. And then everyone else has some... Uh, I, you know, I didn't really even realize, I guess I should have, that ebook-only series things are a thing. Yeah, that well, that's why I love this. Only on ebooks. I love this thread because uh, 
I was like, oh, I bet there's a couple, and it just keeps going. People are like, oh, yeah, I really like uh, Shadow Unit, a collaborative series about a secret government. Uh, and we've talked, we've mentioned this before, Elizabeth Bear, Emma Bull, Will Shutterly. J.C. Uh, yeah, Seventh Son, Seven Days, according to David, is in his library. The Re Reyes series is ebook only. Geekomancy, Celebromancy, Attack the Geek. Uh, yeah, these are there's some good stuff in here. People are always asking us for more independent recommendations, which are harder to come by because the readership is so diffuse. But that's why we've got Goodreads, so people we can. Are, say, I've we read are it. It's good. Dorks because we have Michael R. Underwood on the show, the author of the Re Reyes series, right. and we talked about the fact that it was ebook only. So, we sorry guys. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we uh, that is that is a great thread. Uh, thank you, David, for starting that. All right, uh, book of the month discussion time. Um, we're going to start things off with our um, our kickoff of Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, and then are we going to wrap up Aleph the Unseen as well? Is is it time to do that? Yeah, after oh, we're done with uh, the kickoff, we'll, we we do the kickoffs first now, so that if you don't want to be spoiled, you can you can safely listen to the entire podcast except for the spoilery part. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. So this is Tom. This is your pick. Do you enjoy Stream of Electric Sheep? You are... I had a hard time preparing for this one because I know some things about Philip K. Dick. He is my favorite author. I am by no means nearly as knowledgeable about him as many people who are super fans of Philip K. Dick. Mm -hmm. uh, and Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep is actually one of my... Not least favorite, but it's not one of my favorite novels by him. Really? So I I actually don't even own a physical copy of it. Well, that's not too weird. I, I, I own mean, like, there's plenty of authors that I don't I own. I own like 25 of. Philip K. Dick books. In, oh. And that's not one of them. Oh, that's weird. Okay, if that got a little weird there. Okay. The other, the other side of it is this is Blade Runner, the movie that was based on Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, was the reason I was introduced to Philip K. Dick. I was re watching Blade Runner in a in a film class in college, and I read, you know, in our notes about the film that it was based on this book, and so I I started learning about Philip K. Dick, and then the description is what about Philip K. Dick sent me to The Man in the High Castle, which is my favorite Philip K. Dick book. Anyway. Most people have probably been introduced to Philip K. Dick through Blade Runner at this point, which is unfortunate because Blade Runner, while an amazing movie, is very different than the book. And in fact, if you go to Audible to get the book, it's going to be called Blade Runner. You can do a search for Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep and Blade Runner comes up because they have it subtitled. Uh, but it's unfortunate because you're not going to get that story with Harrison Ford. Wow. Same world and the same facts. So it's, it's Rick Deckard... Uh, uh, it, it, well, it's Deckard anyway, uh, mm -hmm. and it and it's uh, him. He he retires replicants. He's a bounty hunter. There are Nexus Six androids. They you know they they aren't supposed to be on Earth. There's off-world colonization. So you may be thinking, well, wait a minute. This sounds pretty much like Blade Runner to me. Uh, but from the very beginning, you're going to notice like this does not start with Rick Deckard eating noodles in a futuristic Los Angeles. It takes place in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. The Tyrell Corporation is up in Seattle, and it opens with him at home having an argument with his wife over what mood they should set their automatic mood setters to. Yeah. <laughs> I loved it. I mean, I loved the intro, but uh, I, have, sorry, I have a big confession to make here, which will probably make a lot of you lose some faith in me as a human being, but I have not seen Blade Runner. Well, that will be really interesting then. I, I think yeah. this is a cool experiment that you should read this book and then watch Blade Runner. 
I also had a really fun time coming to the realization that the Nexus 6, the Android phone, is called the Nexus 6. Oh, when they, when they first came out with the Nexus phones, the bunch of us were making these Nexus. <laughs> like, yeah, and I whoa. didn't. Well, I wouldn't have gotten that because I had neither read the book nor seen the movie. So yeah. that was completely lost on me as a person. Nice. And why do they call them replicants in Blade Runner and not androids like in the book? Well, um, why did they do that? I, I don't know the answer to that. I may have known it at one point. Uh, they made a lot of choices. Ridley Scott made a lot of choices where he was taking inspiration from this book but deciding to tell his own story. And it's certainly one of the examples where it pays off. Blade Runner is fantastic. And I don't think of it as a movie version of the book, which is why it annoys me when I see the novels, the novelization tie-in versions like they have on Audible. I'm like, you're not getting the Blade Runner story. Maybe so, somebody should novelize Blade Runner. Maybe they have. I don't know. But that's not what Philip K. Dick wrote. I have a question for you, and this will also be kind of embarrassing. Um, is Blade Runner scary? Not really. It certainly isn't very gory. Um, okay. You know, there's shootings and stuff, but it's not any scarier than a police procedural or a noir. It's very noir, so, so okay. you're kind of noir films. I think uh, that's why know. I stayed away from it, because you know me. I'm such yeah, a movie no, about scary not a movies, and I think I probably saw Ridley Scott, and I in my brain I go aliens, and so or alien. And there's, you know, there's some, there's some tense and exciting moments, but it's definitely not like Alien, for sure. Okay, okay. Okay, then I'll, I, I'm looking forward to watching it. My husband, Ryan, is joining the book club for this pick for the first time. Oh, good. He has always wanted to read the book, and he's gonna he's got it on Kindle, and then we're going to watch the movie afterwards. So this awesome. is the first time he has participated. So I'm I'll be interesting. To, I'll be interested. I'll be interesting. I'll finally be interesting after that happens. <laughs> finally. I, I will be oh, interested <laughs> to hear his take. Oh, um, it's my co-host. You know, I've been waiting for so many years for you to get interesting. Thank goodness. A uh, little background on Philip K. Dick, for those who don't know. He wrote 44 novels, 121 short stories, born in 1928, died in 1982. Uh, he was, this, this is the freaky part for me, because I've been a fan of his since I went to college uh, in Illinois, right? He was born mm -hmm. in Chicago, Illinois, moved to San Francisco, uh, then moved to Washington, D.C., then back to San Francisco, went to Berkeley High, actually. Uh, oh. Graduated with Ursula K. Le Guin, although they didn't know each other. We mentioned that when we did uh, Le Guin's book earlier. Right, right. Uh, and then he moved to L.A. later in his life. So, so you know, if he had gone to Austin instead of D.C., that would have been... I went to D.C., though. I lived oh, in D.C. for a short period of time. Yeah, I went to Virginia, actually, when I had my internship at NPR. I want an internship at NPR. You can go back in time and have mine. Okay. Wait, Thank no. No, no, don't. That would change your um, But yeah, yeah, put Philip K. Dick in Austin, and all of a sudden, I'm going to be the one hallucinating pink beams of light that are imparting wisdom because that's that's what happened to him at age 46. So I got two years, I guess. Uh, he experienced hallucinations of a pink beam imparting wisdom and geometric patterns, uh, and he wrote his exegesis uh, about about this. Uh, he, you know, he 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 suffered illness essentially. Although you know, some people think maybe he was also having insight into other worlds. His whole, his whole premise, even before that, he said, in my writing, I even question the universe. I wonder out loud if it is real, and I wonder out loud if all of us are real. Uh, and, and that's what I love about the theme that runs through his books, is sort of like, what is real? Who are you? What is really going on behind the curtain of existence? And you yeah. get a little bit of that Android stream of Electric Sheep. 
Yeah, I thought uh, there was a there's a really interesting, cute moment I think where a replicant is talking about sci-fi books of the past and trying to explain to another person why people enjoyed them. Like, why would they want to read books about you know the future that they didn't know what was going to happen? And she's like, well, you know, it was, it was imagination. They were using their imagination to try to figure out what the future would be, and just. I thought that was kind of cool because they're yeah. looking back into the past about what we thought about the potential future, and it was just you know it was very I thought it was pretty insightful and a good explanation of why we like sci-fi in a sci-fi book. That's the kind of thing you're going to get from Philip K. Dick. So I hope people enjoy this story, and we'll check in on it again next time. All right. Well, now it's time for our wrap-up of uh, Aleph the Unseen by G. Willow Wilson. And uh, gosh, you know, I feel like we covered so much of it in the last episode. But uh, is there what else do you want to add to that? I mean, I loved the book. Um, I, I I I devoured it pretty quickly. Um, I found the world to be so rich, and I liked being out of my comfort zone of of reading traditional, you know, medieval style fantasy. Um, and this was kind of this merged elements of of supernatural with the philosophical and religion and um, you know all of it came together so perfectly and you know the ideas of the of the jinn uh, you know things that we typically think of as being genies like the uh, the marids for example like being like the genie in the bottle uh, all these different mythologies uh, or this one particular mythology that has become so so recognizable, I think, in Western cultures, but then being able to see it through different eyes and kind of learning about the origins and learning about what they actually mean. Um, I found that to be all really rewarding and, and educational uh, and something I wouldn't have known otherwise. And, uh, yeah, I really liked it. Yeah, I liked it too. I, I felt like uh, the technology part of the story could have been... Uh, more technological somehow for me, and that would have just like been icing on the cake. But uh, it was good. Mm -hmm. I don't. I, I I never rolled my eyes and was like, oh god, you know. It was more like, oh, I would have written that with just a little more detail to like pop it out for me. But that's me, right? Most people are not. Covering, not you, Tom. Covering tech, tech news every day. Right? Merit. So, so yeah, so there was that part of it, and I bet that some of this Islamic mythology part feels the same way to people who are experts on Islamic mythology, right? Like Potentially. She's writing a book that is accessible here, and I think that's a, a, an important thing, while still being true to different subcultures. And, yeah, I think in the current climate, especially in the, in the United States, the Islamic part of it pops out, but it's not the only subculture she's dealing with here. And if that's all you notice, uh, you're missing huge parts of the book. And there's there's also just the general, like, what is valuable in a person? What what you know? What kinds of things transcend cultures and are are just human? Uh, and I really am glad that at the end he picks Dina. Yeah, <laughs> I thought that was you know, she was she was the Chekhov's gun in that book in that respect. Like I think from the beginning you kind of I kind of Chekhov's Tina. <laughs> Chekhov's Tina. I think uh, you kind of knew that he was going to end up with her in the end. It was meant to be. She was always there with him. They you know they connected in a certain way and and in Sitar, um was that untouchable kind of you know different 
I, I'm mixing I'm mixing Arabic and, and Indian terminology now just because of my own ignorance, but almost like a different caste system. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's it's hard for that to 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 work out in their situation. And you know, maybe love could have conquered all. Maybe it could have been that kind of story, but it wasn't that kind of story. That wasn't right. what it ended up being. Um, and maybe you would think that in the beginning of the tale, but I never really got that sense from her. I never really felt like she was going to be the type of girl that let love conquer all. And she, you know, kind of revealed herself. She was yeah. like, well, you know, I, I, I liked hanging out with you. It was fun, but I want to be comfortable at the end of the day. I want to, I'm used to a certain lifestyle. I'm not going to be home making your dinner and washing your dishes and doing her laundry. Like, that's not the kind of girl I am. And, you know, I guess I can kind of respect that at the end of the day. There's a, the way herself. you just put it, I can totally respect. The sort of like, yeah, but if it was going to take away my position in society, it wasn't worth it, is where you're like, okay, so love, you didn't really, love didn't conquer that. Love didn't conquer yeah. your love of position. Uh, and I really think that one of the missed points I shouldn't put it that way because some people definitely identified this. But one of the points I wish more people would have identified, to put it that way, is that this is a book about outsiders. Mm -hmm. This is, you know, you we we like to think if we're sitting here in the Christian West uh, that we we are the only we are the outsiders in their culture and they're the outsiders in ours. But what this book shows is every culture has outsiders all throughout it. Right, so the convert. Uh, in fact, Barack uh, pointed this out in one of the uh, discussions on Goodreads. The convert never gets named. No, yeah, I talked about that actually in our yeah. in the last episode that we right, talked right, about. Right, right, right. You did. Um, she, she'll always be a convert first and foremost, and so she's an outsider to most of the group. But then, of course, Aleph is he's he's not of an official family. He's not pure Arabic, so he's an outsider. And Dina's Egyptian, so she's an out like. Everybody's an outsider. And I know we touched upon that the last episode, but I, I feel like that's really the the theme here is that, you know, you can always find someone else who's not in your tribe. It goes back to what we were talking about with, you know, people who don't like the book that you like or the team that you root for. Uh, you know, if you really, really want to push it, you can you can you can classify everyone to be not you. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so this is how you transcend those barriers and actually come together to achieve something and then she shows like although it can get out of hand and you can have a riot and a crowd and you know it's just it's really well done I liked it yeah and uh, I liked the the supernatural elements the you know the the jinn and their world I thought was so interesting as well and uh, you know I'm curious now to to really I, I read some of the the back of the book where they explain the stories behind the different styles of jinn and and um, the different mythologies behind them, and I found that to be absolutely fascinating. And Aleph was pretty good about accepting all the stuff that was happening to him. Like at first, he was very like, especially with Vikram, he was like not cool with it. He like yeah. you know, phys I like the description of him becoming almost physically ill by looking at Vikram and yeah. and the way that his body was moving in unnatural ways that that you know were were physically sickening to look at because of that. Um, I thought that was that was very probably what would happen in, in anyone's case given something like that. But we don't really hear about that too much. People just kind of accept the change or the difference and, and go along with it, especially in a lot of urban fantasy tales. I think people don't react exactly the way they might really react. I, I think a lot of times it's because they're, the author 
describes the monster mm-hmm. and is trying to describe a monster that you'll have that reaction to. And partly out of self-defense, I'm sure your brain goes, oh, well, it's not that bad. I wouldn't react with disgust, right? But what, what G. Willow Wilson did, which I think is really smart, is describe the reaction so that you could be like, oh, well, I wouldn't be like Aleph, but I, I don't know. Maybe I would. Like, they're not telling me the things that I can deny that would disgust me. They're just saying, no, this is just kind of a physical fact. When you look at him, you're disgusted because you're human. That's just a, just the way it's going to be. I think that's really really clever way to describe that. Yeah, and I, you know, I disagree with you on the on the technological elements because I think making it any more technological, any more confusing, or more specific, I think would have taken away from the the metaphorical sense of what they were doing between the technology and religion and and the book. The um, I don't know how to say it. The uh, the uh, what's the name of the book? The Thousand and One Days. Yeah, the Alf Yom. <laughs> Alfie, is I think the way the audiobook has it, yeah. Okay. Um, you know, I loved the connections they made between the book and and the the you know how the story was actually like a program, and I think to get any more technical, I think would have distracted from that, in a way. You're probably right, and that's what I was saying, which about the fact that she wrote this for mass accessibility, and I was only saying for me. I was filling in things like, "Ooh, I would have added this." Because you're a nerd. Exactly. I'm not. I'm just saying for me. I'm not. I'm. I'm not saying it was something that needed to be fixed in any way. Definitely not. Yeah. Um. But what overall, Bailiff's name. Um. When you like his his when name. You finally, find out his name. Oh. Um. His real name. What was his name? Was it? Muhammad. It was Muhammad, right? But didn't we learn that in the beginning of the book? No. Oh, we didn't know for the whole book. No. Oh, for some reason I thought I, I guess I... Maybe you just figured it out. Because maybe I just assumed because it's like the, you know, the most popular... The thing they say earlier in the book, she says uh, he had a name that was the most common name. And while, while a very holy name, like Dina says, yes, but the name is the most holy name you can have. And you can kind of guess it's probably Mohammed at that maybe, point. Maybe I just... Yeah, because when I think when they said it at the end of the book, I just accepted it, and I You're wasn't like, surprised. Oh, yeah, of course, that's his name. That's everybody's name. <laughs> yeah, it's like John, you know. So yeah, exactly. Um, so maybe maybe I had already assumed, but uh, no, I, I guess I was not that surprised. Um, I was almost let down, but I but that's exactly what you should feel, which is yeah. like, oh, of course that would have been his name. So. How funny did you did you love or hate New Quarter One? What did you think of him as a character? Because so Oh, one, I liked him okay. One question I had, and then maybe you can answer this or remember the answer to it. In the beginning of the story, New Quarter says, like, you know what you have to do if kind of the shit hits the fan. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I ever really figured out what the thing Aleph was supposed to do if the shit hit the fan. I just took that as you, you need to cover our tracks because we're your clients. But he, New Quarter wasn't his client. He was just another, another gray hat hacker. No, I know, but I, th- I, I felt that was just him saying like, you, you got to make sure you, you don't expose your clients and what's going on. I don't know. Okay, for some reason that 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 I final attach a lot of extra significance. To I it. did, and I don't know why, and it kind of stuck with me throughout the book. Like, what you know did what you, you have what to do? Want which is to do? get thrown in prison so I can rescue you. So I can rescue you in my BMW later. <laughs> right. And, and then be a little bitch about it for yes. like an hour. He was he was funny. I mean, he was 
you have to give him some props because he was so privileged and obviously like you know, really um, didn't know where he was what he was getting himself into. But he stuck with it. He persevered. Do you know? Uh, remember uh, Patrick Beja's uh, series, The Phileas Club? Yes. Uh, Turkey from Saudi Arabia was a regular on that, and uh, some of the people he described from now and again on that on that show really set, reminded me of New Quarter 01. <laughs> That's interesting. Um, so yeah, I thought he was a he was a fun character, and I guess I should have assumed he was going to come back around again because they kind of made a big deal about him in the beginning of the book, and then didn't really mention him in the middle. part until you know until the prison breakout right. um, so that was that was that was pretty good well I think that's about all I have to say about the book um, I, I really book. enjoyed it huh? yeah, I liked it good book a different a definite change of pace from what we typically read I thought it's you know it's good and healthy to try something different um, the writing I thought was was really great I thought the the melding of all the religious and tech technology and and you know, otherworldly aspects were, were really cool, and uh, I would I would recommend this one. Thumbs up from from the sword. Yeah, we've never done a rating system on Sword and Laser for for our book picks. I don't think we should. I think no. that's probably a bad idea. I give it three lasers. I don't know. Yeah, this is totally arbitrary. Um, but yeah, I I enjoy. I guess the 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 rating is would you review? Would you recommend it? And yes, I would, I would definitely recommend it. Cool. All right. Well, I think that about wraps it up for the show. Um, let's see. We have, uh, if you, in case you missed it, we had a great interview with uh, Delilah S. Dawson last week. Um, there's a video version of that over on uh, youtube.com slash sword and laser. It's also on our audio feed. Um, so definitely make sure you check it out. If you enjoy the show, make sure to support us on Patreon. Um, we are doing some fun stuff in the near future. We are writing our thank you jingle right now. Uh, patrons will know who we are working on that with. So if you'd like to find out, you can donate to sword and laser and get a little inside look into what's coming up in terms of our jingle that we are going to sing for you. Hey. This is a little preview of how I sing. <laughs> I'm not even going to give you a preview. It's, just, <laughs> it's, not it's bad. So yeah, head over to patreon.com slash sword and laser or uh, look up sword and laser on the Patreon website. And we were on the Patreon podcast a couple weeks ago. That should go up pretty soon. Yeah, so you yeah. can learn that was fun. More about that process. Um, we'll link to that on the. Here, here's the real scoop, people. Uh, if you're like, okay, Patreon, whatever, I get it. This this is the value for value model that Adam Curry and John Dvorak use on No Agenda, and I've been using it on Daily Tech News Show. And the 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 pro proposition here is, if you're getting value out of Sword and Laser, to just give a little value back. If that's five cents, a dollar, whatever, whatever you can afford, and if you can't afford anything, that's okay. Uh, if you, if you can, though, go to patreon.com slash sword and laser and kick a few cents over our way. Here's the thing. We just reached our jingle milestone. We're not going to have an interview or an episode next week. We'll, in two weeks, we'll come back with our normal every other week sword and laser. But if you're like, you know what? I really would prefer that you had an episode every week. We could make a better commitment to fill those interviews if we reach our next uh, milestone goal on Patreon. So that's, that's in the cards. So let's make it happen. We love doing interviews. We are just so busy. It is hard, hard to get that done. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, though, our email address is feedback at swordandlaser.com. Our website is swordandlaser.com. All of our discussions happen over on goodreads.com slash swordandlaser. And if you want to leave us a voicemail, the phone number is 415-7-SWORD-6. 
We'll see you guys next time.